A message from our sponsor, Pivot Lending Group, Littleton, Colorado. Pivot Lending Group provides a tailored mortgage lending experience with strong local builder and realtor relationships and customized loan services. We pivot to help you grow in your community and realize your personal home ownership goals. Visit us at pivotlending.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pivot Podcast. This is Tim Regan here in our Scottsdale office. Today, we're joined by Rockstar Realtor here in Scottsdale, Michael Fabro. Michael, how are you? Good to see you. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great, doing great. Yeah, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Why don't you go ahead and, and give our listeners just a quick introduction of who you are and how you got into real estate. For sure. So my name is Michael Fabro. I run the Ignite Group out of the West USA office here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been doing real estate now for coming on nine years as in the real estate capacity and as an investor for the last 12 years. I got into real estate after I relocated down here from Vancouver, Canada, and just started buying properties, investing, and um, thought, hey, I could do this better because my agent at the time was helping me out. But I saw some some improvements that I felt that I could uh, add to. And so I got into the, the real estate to try to help other people live the American dream and buy a home and start investing in real estate and properties. And I've been, like I said, doing it for nine years, have a small team of three other agents, a transaction coordinator, and uh, we're just rocking out here. Yeah. So nine years later, huh? Ne- never looked back, got in and never looked back. No, I uh, hit the ground running and just took off from there, which has been great. Um, obviously some struggles in between, but you know, I love what I do. I love helping people. I love the real estate market, love homes, you know, every aspect of real estate. So it's been fun. So nine years ago, that's, that's post crash. If my math is correct. Right. So Talk me through what the market was like as you started versus what it is now. It was very, very different. So back in you know 2011, 2012, I believe our inventory was closer to about six months, seven months of inventory, if not more, about 35 to 40,000 homes on the market. So you really had your pick of the litter in terms of what you wanted to buy. Price points were you know, just coming off those all-time lows. And... Um, Lending was still very tight, so there was very few, you know, buyers that could qualify for uh, homes even at that time. Getting back on their feet with their jobs, and, you know, getting rid of bankruptcies and foreclosures and all that stuff. So the market was a completely different landscape. You know, you drive down a street and there'd be maybe five or six homes for sale on each street. So that's how the landscape was back then. Yeah, coming out of the crash, obviously Phoenix got hit hard, pretty good, and so there was a lot of stuff that came online of that were foreclosures or, or bank owned and things like that. Fast forward to to where we are here now coming out of COVID, which is different type of crisis, different type of financial crisis and health care crisis. But how has that impacted real estate here in, in the Phoenix metro area? It's funny. So when we had COVID started back in 2019, the, the very tail end of it, we started getting wind of it on TV and stuff like that. And, you know, the media talking about Europe and Asia being shut down and having this virus that's coming around. And um, I mean, I had thought nothing of it, you know, with the coverage was very minimal. And then it started to hit here in the, uh, in the United States, in particular, Arizona. Um, and we went into shutdown and lockdown in March for a month. I had a few listings coming up online and I had, you know, so things were starting to move just like they had already uh, been moving. And 
uh, we really didn't know what was going to happen. And I, I was kind of panicked a little bit with uh, some of my bigger listings because they had shut down the jumbo loans. So anything over 450 was getting stopped or not, not funding at that, at the time. So we were kind of panicked, but it's, it's crazy what happened. I mean, real estate just kept going. And it took, it really took off. I mean, I think I had two weeks of slowdown uh, when we first went into lockdown and the market literally just took off from there. And we've seen record low inventory uh, numbers. We've seen record high prices. We've seen buyers coming from in from all over the country um, and even parts of the world too, investing. Like I said, yeah, we've just seen record low inventory numbers with things on the market. And it feels like people just want are look are now that they're working from home and having a little different landscape. They're needing that extra space. They're needing that extra bedroom for an office, or they're needing you know that backyard to hang out with their kids instead of living in an apartment or living in a smaller condo or living close to the city. Now they can spread out, you know, get a bit more space. Since most people are uh, still working from home, or doing like a hybrid version of that. And so, paint that picture for us as far as what that inventory looks like from then till now. Free What's COVID. that supply like? Yeah. So pre-COVID, we were at around 10,000 to 14,000 homes, give or take any given month, which is about two months supply, month and a half supply, which is still relatively still low. Still short. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Still relatively low. We, I mean, we've been in a, in, a, in a seller's market for quite some time now. And uh, fast forward to today, I looked at it this morning. We have 3,000 single family homes on the market in, in the wow. entire Metro Phoenix area, 4,000 of everything in total. And that's, so that's every single price point that's uh, single family homes, that's condos, that's townhomes, that's patio homes, and everything in between. From $0 to uh, you know $30 million, um, there's 4,000 uh, pieces of inventory on the market. And so what, it, what does that equate to a number of weeks supply? Or, is that six weeks? Is that four? It's what is that? About two and a half weeks, two to two oh and a half God. weeks. We're going there, through inventory quickly. There, there's what, about 5 million, or if I remember right, in Phoenix Metro? Five million people. Population? Yeah. Uh, yeah, about five, five and a half million, I think it is. And growing every day. I mean, if you follow the news, you, right, you see it's close to 100,000 people per year. They were, uh, well, the stat I heard, and don't quote me on this, it's between about 150 to 200 people uh, moving here a day at the time. So we're, we're both transplants or adopted mm-hmm. sons, right? What, what yeah. brought you out to the valley? <laughs> Honestly, the crash. Uh, I know it sounds kind of cliche, but I invest. I just came down buying property and investing in property, and I saw an opportunity in Phoenix, in particular, from where I was, and never had been to Arizona in my life. And booked a uh, booked a trip. Started looking at real estate online. Booked a trip. Uh, ran some numbers and came out and bought two properties uh, in 2010. And perception at the time was, you know, old people and golfers, and that was that was my There's perception of Arizona. And then when I came there's down plenty, here, it's plenty like, of golf out here. <laughs> there's still plenty of golf, and you know there is definitely communities uh, yeah. for you know 55 plus communities. But there's yeah, also absolutely. a big, vibrant city. There's a lot of young, a lot of youth. There's a lot of business. There's a lot of things that kept me out this way. Um, and then 350, to, you know, days of sun, uh, temperatures, you know, no, no earthquakes, no hurricanes, or any of that kind of stuff. So we have temperate climate. We have sunny every single day. You're close to everything. I mean, we're three hours, five hour drive to Vegas, you know, six hour drive to Los Angeles, a few hour flights from each of those places as well. So yeah. we're just centrally located and just a lot of stuff to do down here. That's I, I couldn't have said it any better. I mean, you know, being 
in Arizona versus Chicago. I've I've always kind of joked the people I meet here in Arizona are comprised of the three C's. They're either from California, Canada, or Chicago, which is where I'm from. That's who I tend to run mm-hmm. into. Now, obviously, there's transplants from all over the country because it is such a great place to live. And jokingly with my friends, you know, I, I tell them that Phoenix is Chicago's largest West suburb. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I, I do, it's just funny how you attract it. I'm sure you you might find it the same. You tend to bump, maybe bump into some folks from Canada. You find that you, you, you notice it or something they're wearing or something they say, and you're like, oh, you're from, you're from Canada, yeah. eh? Right? It's the you same thing with Chicago. Tell, you can usually tell from their license plates, or not the plates, but like their little border around, or they'll have a sticker, or yeah. just the way they talk, or literally just walking around in the in, you know, December, January, December, December and January, and we're wearing, you know, full on like jackets and everything. Hoodies. Cool. And they're, yeah, hoodies. And they're wearing, you know, shorts and flip flops. And it's like, okay, you're not from here. And yeah, nine yeah, times yeah. out of 10, it's someone for some, you know, somewhere much cooler than we are here. So that's So funny. tell me, being, being from Canada and, and knowing that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think we both know many people from all over Canada come down here and invest has has that changed with covid because obviously canada has treated it a little bit different than the states um my understanding is it's it's a little bit harder to get out of canada to come down here to do any of that stuff are you are you able to do any of have you been able to work with any canadian investors through covid either virtually or in person yes so canada's handling it a little bit differently we are uh, a little bit more strict on um travel um, so yeah. the borders have been shut down now for uh, going over a year, I believe. But flying in and out of the United States from Canada makes it a bit more troublesome, too, because there is some restriction when flying back, staying in a hotel or quarantining for 14 days or something of that sort. Right, right. I feel like it changes every month. So a lot of my Canadian clients have been reluctant to fly down or come down. But they've also seen a massive appreciation in the market and in in their investments that they've had down here. So we've seen a big turnover of properties of them getting sold. So, you know, having them being vacant or uh, if they were second homes being vacant for the last year of them not even be able to use it and seeing, you know, 25% appreciation literally over the last year and a half. um, We've seen a bunch of them kind of uh, let go of their properties, still keep the cash in in a U.S. account because once everything kind of settles down. I have a feeling they're going to be co- uh, coming in and buying. I've also had a few Canadian investors that are still buying down here. So they are, they're buying um, typically from the ones that they're buying, they're buying condos um, for them. It's just a safer vehicle. It's less maintenance. Um, but uh, I have two or three of them that are, that have bought three properties in the last, um, in the last six months um, because the rental market is still red hot down here as well. And the rental prices keep going up, more businesses keep moving in. So there's still people that need places to live. So they're, they're still investing. They're still moving money. It's a little different than it was, you know, a year ago when they would fly down, come to, you know, look at some of the properties. Now it's a lot of it's virtual, um, done through through video, uh, video messaging or video chat. Yeah. So, I mean, Phoenix, I think is, it's coming online as really, uh, and we've talked about this, you know, it's definitely an international city. People from all over come here, people from all over invest here, uh, and truly being a global city where, it's grown so much in the, I've been, I've been living here now on and off since 2007. I mean, it has changed so much, right? And you're right. There's such a, such a vibrant feel to Phoenix now. Whereas when I first came down here, I did, 
I did sometimes feel to have that feeling like, man, where is there for me and my wife to really go and hang out? That's, that's fun. And, and, uh, it, but now it's, it's all over. It's totally changed. The population change. It's almost like post crash, right? That everything has totally come back online. More and more people came down here. The foods, the food scene in Phoenix is good. Oh, the food scene good. here is it's amazing. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, a lot more restaurants. I mean, there's just certain areas too in the central corridor, like on seventh street and central. I mean, you have all the restaurants that have popped up in the last five years. Yeah. You have old town that's, you know, um, changed its landscape quite a bit. You have South Scottsdale, which is now very vibrant and more construction and more uh, things popping up over there. Uh, Kierland and the Scottsdale quarter completely redone over the last five years with new restaurants, new buildings. And, and we were just together downtown. I love the downtown. Yeah. I mean, it's, Totally changed. Yeah, I agree. You, you know, the, the uh, universities coming down there and and putting campus really was a game changer. I, I wish I was a little bit closer to downtown because it it has that energy that sometimes you miss from being in Chicago mm-hmm. or I miss from being back home, right? And, and sort of the mom and pop stuff where some neighborhoods you get here, you can get a little bit too much on the big box corporate side, but downtown's got a really good feel of independent family-owned type places to visit and, and patronize, which is good. I mean, obviously coming out of COVID, a lot of the small businesses got crushed. I'm always happy to support local small business for sure. And, and downtown offers yeah. a ton of that. Yeah. And it's still, I mean, there's still some areas that are going through some gentrification, but it's it's definitely grown. Like you said, the, uh, the campuses, the ASU and uh, NAU campuses and U of A campuses downtown. Yeah that have really, you know, brought more people into downtown. It's so funny because our downtown is not like a traditional downtown. You know, you think of Chicago, you think of Vancouver, you think of New York, you think of Los Angeles, where you have all these skyscrapers, you have everything happening down there, people living. And our downtown is not, I mean, it hasn't really been that. It's been, you know, people would say, you know, you go to work near nine to five, Monday to Friday in downtown Phoenix, and then you would leave and it'd be vacant and desolate. But that's, uh, I feel like that's starting to come around and that's starting to change as more businesses starting to move down there, more uh, apartment buildings starting to get built down yeah. there, more homes starting to get, you know, revamped. Yeah. I mean, they had to put in housing, right, for the for the campuses mm-hmm. and things like that. And then they, yeah. they, and everything's kind of developed around that. Now, you know, you drive down there, you see there's probably two, three, four different developments that are happening currently. Yeah. Right. Which is exciting to see. So let's let's talk about the future here in Phoenix, right? What do you what do you see going forward? We're in this crazy low inventory. Builders can't keep up. Some sellers are still maybe not quite ready to sell, whether it's COVID or watching the market, and and also trying to buy on the backside of that can be difficult, right? Give me your sense of of what this what this market looks like a year from now, moving forward from where we're at. Is sure. is there light at the end of the tunnel for for buyers? <laughs> let's say because there, there's a ton of light right now for sellers. But as a loan officer, obviously, you know, I work on on the buyer side. I've mm-hmm. had those tough conversations with you know patience but persistence kind of thing. It, yeah, there's just not enough homes. You got to just be ready to go once you see it, but be patient. So here's my take on it. And I don't have a crystal ball and I can't predict anything like that. But my my take we're recording this. So we're we're recording this. So if you're wrong, we'll make sure we let you know. (laughs) Um, So what I would say in the next 24 months or 12 to 24 months, 
I think in the next 12 months, we're not going to see too much change. I think our inventory is still going to be low. Our supply chain has, has slowed down dramatically getting inventory. I have a new build right now that's taken, I, I mean, no joke, about four months uh, to get air conditioners. And they're doing two home, homes a week installing air conditioners because they have one, no manpower and two, no, no product. So I feel like the inventory in the supply chain with lumber prices being where they're at and the supply of it uh, shrinking a little bit, prices are still going to continue to increase and our inventory is still going to stay kind of relatively low in the next 12 months. I feel like in the next 18 to 24 months, that's going to start to level off. We're going to start to see in, uh, inventory increase at a, at a decent rate. I think we're still going to be in a seller's market. Um, I don't foresee that changing anytime soon um, in the next two years, uh, but I feel like inventory is going to start to, uh, to come up. Rates are probably going to start to, to raise as well to slow down so, uh, some of these sellers and some of these buyers. So that'll kind of relax the market a little bit. And that's what I'm seeing. That, that, I mean, that's kind of my prediction. I feel like in the next you know 12 months here, we're going to be in for quite a ride with you know multiple offers and waiving contingencies and all that stuff uh, with, with offers. I'm hoping in the next 12 months to 24 months that we're going to start to see more builders come online with more product. Buyers, you know, in certain states start to relax some of their COVID regulations and stuff like that so they can get back to work. Because I feel like right now we're seeing a, a lot of states that have, you know, tighter regulations. We're seeing a lot more influx of uh, buyers from those states. So I feel like once those start to relax, once those areas start to open up again and business starts to flourish there again, some of those buyers that were, you know, had thought about maybe relocating here might have uh, a different take now that things are opening back up. So I think we'll start to see. Uh, a shift in in the buyer pool and not so much people coming from certain areas than we are right now. No, I, I would agree with a lot of that. I also think, you know, on the lending side, we've been in this super low interest rate environment for, for quite a while now. And then COVID happened and then rates got even, even lower, right? They're just here recently started to tick up. You know, that's, I think that's something to watch. People have talked about the vaccine numbers and and, and you're right. Most states, it's from what I'm hearing, and again, I've really tried to stay out of the news post-election <laughs> um, because it's tiresome. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it sounds like most places will will be open or, or more open here through summer, right? So I think that'll be a, a good indicator. One, nobody wants to move to Phoenix in the, in the summer. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> not, not if they can avoid it, at least, right? When it's 110. Yeah back to back to back back days all the time. But you're right. I think the other states opening and giving folks different options to where they don't feel like, oh, you know, throw their hands up in the air and say, I got to get out of here. They're not quite going so stir crazy. But uh, I think Phoenix is, as a whole is in a really good position to absorb from those places where, especially if the work from home stuff truly becomes a thing and not just a fad, right? If employers can remain productive and employees can remain productive while being remote, um, I think Phoenix is a perfect area. I mean, there's some other cities around the country that I'm sure feel the same way, but Phoenix, the way it's set up on a grid and suburbia, it's in a great place to absorb population. We just have to get more people to sell their home and hopefully at some point the builders catch up, right? I think that's the toughest piece of this is that, you know, it's not necessarily in a builder's best interest to build when they know by the time they're done, they're way undervalued because of how Mm -hmm. fast the market is moving on top of the the increased cost of 
you know, their supplies, lumber, air conditioning, copper, all that stuff, right? By the time that that's needed for that particular home, the cost of that's gone up. It's an interesting place, but to be as someone who's been in, in lending for as long as I have, it's just another cycle, right? This too shall pass. Mm -hmm. Although it's hard for me, it's hard to really see the end of this because on the lending side, you know, the government is involved at a high level. They all, you know, FHA is a part of HUD, VA, USDA, the conservatorship of Fannie and Freddie. Um, even though Fannie and Freddie has kind of tightened, you know, the, the government is really in control of the mortgage market, right? And as long as rates remain low and they have a, a say in that, I don't see an end in sight because I don't necessarily see the inventory coming online, especially especially on the builder side, if if the cost of goods don't subside at some point. Well, they'll just, they're just going to continue to, to raise prices to, uh, to offset that. And we're seeing that already with, uh, with building prices for new builds. I mean, every, I feel like every three weeks, they're, they're raising their base prices already. Plus, with, uh, they're doing more and more of the uh, like lot premiums mm-hmm. where, they didn't, where they didn't have them as much before. So I think they're compensating for that a little bit. You're right. I mean, if they you know, lock in a deal now and it takes them 12 months to build, depending on when they order supplies or allocate supplies for that property, with that home, they don't really know where you know where what do you, that, what do you that do? pricing is gonna is thing. Yeah, I mean they're covering it with the upfront price, but yeah, I mean they're doing their best. I feel like at least they have a you know it's at least they have something secured and they have money tied to that property and it's already sold, so they know that hey, if something were to happen, they already have a chunk of money that they you know that's paying for uh, some of the material cost and whatever. Sure. But yeah, it, I mean, it takes about twenty, you know, twelve to twenty-four months to build out a subdivision, if not longer. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where I'm saying that timeline. You know, we're seeing more and more ramp up. We're seeing more permits getting pulled in certain areas. Uh, we're seeing subdivisions pop up and start to get created, but those still take time to develop the land and you know get all the permits and get everything in place before they can start selling those lots and building on those properties. Tell me, how would you advise somebody who's looking to sell that you know has to buy? They're selling and buying locally, right? Selling's the easy part, right? How are what are those conversations like with your clients as you're having that listing presentation, knowing that you're going to sell one, and then we've got to work on finding this particular family a home on the back end. So there's a few different things we work through. Now every you know every transaction is going to be a little bit different. Every client's a bit different. Every time frame's a bit different. So. The first option we look at is, are you are they able to buy without selling their property? Because here's most mm-hmm. people want to get top dollar for their property. They want to pay the least amount for their next property, obviously. So in the market we're in right now, you're kind of buying in the high. You're buying high, you're selling high. So you're really just moving equity around. Um, so what, the first thing we look at is, you know, are they able to qualify on a mortgage while also keeping their second home, their other their home that they're currently living in? If that's the case, then we start looking at properties and and identifying a property, going in, purchasing the the, the new home, non-contingent on the sale of the home. I'm talking about you know full on, they can afford both homes and both mortgages. Hmm. Um, pass the inspection right. period, pass the appraisal period, and then get their home listed and put on the market and get uh, put under contract. Uh, once we pass all our contingencies on their buy side, then it's a pretty smooth transition. The fortunate thing for them right now is for the sellers right now is that they have a lot of leverage on terms, um, not only with price, but also with terms. So um, what I've been negotiating is doing leasebacks for some of my clients. So they might get an extra week or two weeks 
Um, Explain that for anybody who might not know. Yeah, for sure. So a leaseback is basically we're going to sell the property. uh, We're going to go under contract and we're going to close just for an example, June 15th. So that's the actual close. That's when the buyer, the new buyer takes possession of the home. The deed is transferred, money is wired, all that fun stuff. And then a leaseback would basically the seller, the current seller of the home who is now uh, homeless is basically going to lease that home back from the new buyer for an X amount of time, a certain amount of time. So typically it's a week or two weeks. So it gives them a a time for the, the transfer to happen. The proceeds of the sale to go into hit their account so they can use it for their next purchase and some time to move um their their stuff from one property to another gotcha um so that's that's so that's what we're negotiating now so if, if they are if they have already purchased the home we'll negotiate maybe a one week or two week lease back from the seller from the new buyers which is pretty um pretty common in the in the market we're in right now and uh and that gives them the time to get the cash out of that home purchase the new home, put it towards the down payment or whatever, and then time to move their stuff from one property to the other, and then have the new buyers take possession. That's the easiest route. The more complex route, because not everyone can afford two mortgages or want to hold two mortgages at, at one given time. We have different programs that can um, that can offer like a bridge loan where we can still purchase a home and uh, have a bridge to uh, do the same thing, only with carrying but carrying one mortgage. Um, I'm not going to get into that one too much because that's more on like the lending side. And Tim, you might want to <laughs> product on that, but I know there's there's yeah, products fine. out there for that. The other option would be just to do a, a straight on leaseback. So we'll sell the property and then we'll lease it that property back for one or two months, and then in during that time we are out full fledged putting offers on properties and getting something else under contract so that they have time to move in. But that gives them again two months to go look at properties to get something under contract. If that fails and we don't find anything they like, then uh, we have options for short-term rentals where we can put them in a short-term rental, put their stuff in storage, and then find them another property. Do you work with some investors on the short-term rental side or or do you have some yourself? Yeah, so my team has, uh, myself and my team have a bunch of short-term rentals that we have. Um, so it works well when, when you're when working with us because we have that inventory readily available that we can move people around and put people in that's places. Excellent. Yeah, so it's talk, just talk another more about that. that I, talk more about that. I think that's a great solution, right? So yeah. So how does so that work? Investor, and how do you determine yeah. who who gets to use that option? So it all it depends on what you know what their what their situations are. So we'll you know every as we talk with a with a seller, we we go through all the all four or five different options that we have available for them. Um, and what they're looking to accomplish. And then it's at that point, we figure out, okay, well, let's implement this strategy here, this strategy here, or this strategy here. We'll get their buy-in and then we we take it to the next level. Um, if they're looking to do something with a short-term rental, if they're just saying, you know what, I just want to sell this place now. Uh, if we can't do a lease back or we can't find anything, then I'll just move into a short-term rental. We have of our own property, we have three of our own properties. Plus we have uh, a super host, an Airbnb super host that we work closely with that has property typically uh, available. They have like 30 properties. And so it's more of a place, okay, how are we going to, what are we going to find or find the home? If we don't find anything, then it's like, okay, which property is going to be available for two months, three months, four months, however long they need to still, you know, get them other into another rental or get them into a, a home on the purchase side. So the nice thing is we have having the inventory, we have the control to block dates and stuff like that. And We'll do that as we, you know, as we see fit and as we need to. It, it's only come to that uh, that time once where we had to put someone in a short term rental, 
for a couple of weeks while their home was, you know, finishing getting built. It was an, it was actually a new build where their move-in date had got moved because they had uh, supply issues on a, on a couple of things. So it took an extra couple of weeks to, to finish sure. the project. Their home had already sold and their lease back had already ended. So we just put them in a short-term rental for two weeks. That, that that's excellent. I I don't think I realized you had as much of that as an option as uh as what you described, but that I, I've heard of some folks having to do that, right? And because like I said, selling's the easy part. There's way more people out there buying than there are selling, but it does put some pressure on someone on the back end to to find a property in an appropriate amount of time. And so you you as an agent and, and your team having that option, that's a great option for clients. For sure. And it, I mean, it depends on the price points too. Certain price points are going to be a little bit easier than others. Certain parts of the valley are going to be easier than others. The other thing we've been working with clients is finding homes that might need a little bit of work. Um, so in doing like an investment or not an investment loan, a, um, like a two or three K loan or a renovation style loan where, you know, we can make the home what they want, finding something that's been on the, maybe been on the market a little bit, uh, needs a little bit of work. You know, someone's at, some of the homes that people are shying away from because those are still, those still exist. And then working with uh, people like you, Tim, to get them um, into a home, putting setting up with a contractor, finding, you know, what they want to do to the home, finding out what that budget is going to look like, and then putting that all together. So that, that's another option as well that we can uh, help with. Inventory is not there. Let's create it, right? Let's, exactly. let's create what that home looks like. No, that's yeah. excellent. Well, listen, I appreciate the time. We're, we're, uh, we're past the time. I, I, I thought we would keep you here and, and this is an interesting conversation, but I definitely appreciate you popping in and, and dropping some knowledge about our Phoenix market here. Any last thing you, you'd like to add before we, we cut out? I would just say if you're a buyer out there right now, just keep your head up, have some patience. You know, that deal will come together at some point and just make sure you're exploring all options. Uh, make sure your agent is talking, you know, going through and building that rapport with the other agent on the other side and finding mm. out what the seller is really looking for. Sometimes it's not always about money. I mean, 95% of the time it is, but there's sometimes there's terms in there that that might uh, sweeten the deal for you to get that offer accepted. And if you're a seller out there looking to you know sell in this market right now, you know everyone wants to wait another month or another month or another month. I mean, it's going to continually go up a little bit here and there. But when you start seeing things in your neighborhood start to go for higher and higher prices, in my opinion, that's the right time to pull the trigger. And just, you know, if you're thinking about selling and really ready to move, make that uh, make that happen. Absolutely. People here in Phoenix, how can they get a hold of you or anywhere that are looking at Phoenix? How can they get a hold of you? So if you search my name, it's Michael Fabro Realtor on Google. I'm usually on the I'm on the first page. My phone number um, is 480-252-5536. That's my direct line. You can find me on Instagram at LuxuryAZ on Clubhouse with the same username on Twitter with the same username on Facebook. Pretty much any social media aspect, you will find me with LuxuryAZ. Perfect. Excellent. Well, Michael, I appreciate you spending some time with us here on the Pivot Podcast. Always appreciate the time and the information. We'll definitely have to do this again. And thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll talk to you soon, sir. Appreciate it, Tim. Thank you so much. This episode was brought to you by Pivot Lending Group, NMLS 10995. Copyright 2021, Pivot, all rights reserved. Financial Funding Solutions Incorporated, TBA Pivot Lending Group. 10397 West Centennial Road, Littleton, Colorado, 80127. Pivot does business in accordance with the Fair Housing Law and Equal Credit Opportunity Act. Pivot Lending is regulated by the Division of Real Estate, Colorado. To learn more or find a full listing of our state licensing, visit pivotlending.com or nmlsconsumeraccess.org. 